Hey friends, welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. This is a extra special episode because as I'm recording this for my podcast audience, I'm also doing a live Facebook feed to answer these questions at the same time. So you gotta love the multitasking, um, getting two things done at once. So if you hear me talking to people, that's because I'm talking to the folks who are live on Facebook with me and you guys who are in the podcast are obviously listening to this recorded, but you get the benefit of all the good interaction and all the good questions that these folks have as well. So this is a canning Q&A episode. I had folks over on Facebook submit their canning questions for me to answer. And I noticed, I was talking to my assistants about this, um, the questions this year are different. So I did this last year, a live Q&A about this topic. And the questions were definitely more kind of basic level. You know, how do you can tomatoes? Where do I find jars? What's the difference between water bath canning and pressure canning? And this year, um, I've been kind of pleasantly surprised that the questions are a lot more advanced. Um, I can tell you guys, a lot of you use 2020 to learn how to can, and now you're kind of ready for that next level of canning information. So I thought that was pretty cool. And it's okay if you're still a beginner or you're just getting started, you're not behind. Um, that's totally awesome. And I think it's a great year. You're, you're not going to be too late to get started canning. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment an old-fashioned lifestyle, and I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Without further ado, I'm going to jump into a first uh, first few of the questions here that I have on my list. Alrighty, this is from Elan, or maybe Elaine, but we're going to go with Elon. When I was a kid, my mom made homemade jams and would use paraffin wax on the top. I'm not 100% sure I was young, but I think they went into a water bath. Have you heard of or used this method? So I have. Uh, heard of that method that is an old school way to preserve food. They would, you know, pour the paraffin on the top and that would kind of seal it, or that was the idea. That is no longer a recommended method for canning because the paraffin can shrink um, and get contaminants in the jar. And so um, that is something that we've figured out better ways to do it. And you're going to hear me a lot during this live reference um, the canning laboratories, like the National Center for Home Food Preservation and organizations like that because they have done the research for a reason. And one thing, you know, I just did a podcast episode yesterday. We recorded it with um, Angie Schneider from Schneider Peeps. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. She has some great content. And her and I talked a lot about, you know, there's this argument sometimes, well, why can't I do it this way? Because my grandma did it and I've done it before and no one died. And, you know, you know, her answer to that, which I really resonate with was, when you know better, you do better. So maybe paraffin was the only option that folks had back in the day, but now we know better. We have better methods that are safer and aren't that aren't going to give you as much food spoilage. So I'm always going to go with that. I'm going to go with the stuff that is backed by the data and is backed by the research. So um, you can still do all the same foods you would have done with paraffin. You just want to do a lid instead. All right, next question from Rebecca. Can I recan from a large... A, a large jar from Costco into smaller jars. I'm thinking of doing this with, say, a number 10 can of tomatoes. So I, I researched this one a little bit because this is something I actually haven't considered. Uh, and what I found is when I looked at what is recommended or what has been tested, there isn't data um, to show what you need to do or how the food may act if you're using um, food that's already been cooked and already been canned and trying to recan it. And the concern would lie in, you know, how the heat would move through already cooked canned food. Cause it's pretty cooked when you, when it's in a number 10 can, right? It's been well-processed how the heat would move through that versus, um, regular non pre-canned food. So it's not generally recommended. Now I would say the exception to that would be if you are doing like tomatoes to me are a little bit different. So let's say you have a number 10 can of whole tomatoes and you are wanting to turn those whole tomatoes into sauce. 
I would say that's a little bit different where you might grind those up. You might add your spices. You're going to cook it down and then you're going to can it as tomato sauce. I think that could be a little bit different, but like I wouldn't take a number 10 can of corn or green beans and then try to recan it. You're just not going to have great results. It's going to be way overcooked and probably taste super gross. So, all right. Next question from Jamie. I have seen a lot of people unsure if canning is safe in a multi-purpose pressure cooker, like an instant pot, but some of them even have a button option for canning. Okay. So this is a really popular um, question because everyone loves their Instant Pots. I have an Instant Pot. I use it all the time for different things. The regular Instant Pot or the standard Instant Pot is not something you want to use for canning. A pressure cooker is very different from a pressure canner because a pressure canner is designed so you can really regulate and really watch the pressure and the temperatures and stuff. And a pressure cooker isn't that dialed in. So I would, for the most part, just completely skip using your instant pots for canning. However, there are a few models like Jamie mentioned that have the uh, canning button. And in what I have, the research I've done and what I've, I've looked at, there's still a question as to whether they're safe for low acid foods, right? Because everyone's like, is the pressure regulated appropriately? Does it keep the pressure where it needs to be? So I would say if you have one of those canners, you could pr probably safely easily use that for um, canning high acid foods and just kind of use it like a water bath canner. And a high acid food would be a jam or a jelly or a pickle or a chutney or things like that. Um, that you're going to have that acid helping with the preservation. So you're not have to, you're not going to have to completely depend on the perfect pressure in that machine to do that preservation task. Now, I, I guess the flip side of that coin to me, you can also just do high acid foods like jams or jellies, because you're using those small jars in a regular stock pot. So I feel like it's almost a little excessive or maybe redundant to use a pressure cooker, like an instant pot max for doing jams and jellies. It just feels like it, you don't need it, you know, cause you can do jams and jellies in a stock pot. Does that make sense? So that's my thought. My thought is keep the instant pots for cooking and get a dedicated pressure canner. Um, if you're going to do the canning, I have an all American pressure canner. I love it. It is the Cadillac of pressure canners. It's also very heavy, um, but if you don't want to invest quite that much, you can get a Presto canner for 80, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, I think, and they work just as well. So it's not a big investment. And then you have that peace of mind knowing the food is canned properly. Because let me tell you, the thing that is the worst with canning is when you've kind of maybe fudged on some recommendations or not followed certain things, and you're like, it's fine, it's fine. But then you pull the jars out and you're like, but is it fine? Are they okay? Do they have botulism? Like, I don't like that question in the back of my mind. And I don't feel like I ever have to question the food that I have canned according to recommendations. Like, I don't, I don't worry about it. I don't give it a second thought. As long as that lid is sealed, I have full confidence in that. But I don't like it, that feeling of not knowing. So anyway, long answer. But those are my thoughts on Instant Pot pressure canners. Okay, from Angela, let's talk reusable lids. So she asks, are the reusable lids as reliable as the one-time use lids? So some of you may remember uh, a video I did this spring that kind of went viral <laughs> where I talked about Harvest Guard reusable canning lids. Um, reusable lids have been around for a while and I honestly didn't give them a lot of thought because I didn't need to. I had an endless supply of disposable lids that I buy at the grocery store. Well, as many of you know, um, the lids are under major back order right now. Thank you, COVID crazy, whatever supply chain issues. Um, we were talking to someone the other day, I'm trying to think who it was, and they were sharing how the reason they suspect that the canning lids are so hard to find right now is because there is a shortage of raw materials with all those supply chain stuff. And the canning lids like that you get from the grocery store are made out of the same material as soda cans and beer cans. And so when those um, suppliers have a choice to sell it to a soda soda manufacturer or a canning lid manufacturer, you're probably going to go to the um, soda. I'm, I'm sure there's better margins or whatever there. So that's why we're having this competition with the raw materials for canning lids. Anyway, Harvest Guard reusable lids, I think are a great option. Um, 
there, we just posted, my assistant just posted a link to the video where I explained how to use them because there is a learning curve with these lids. You have to treat them a little bit differently. You don't tighten them down as much. You need to actually tighten them down after they come out of the canner, which you never do with a disposable lid. All that being said, give yourself a few batches to get to know them. And I'd say that your success rate is going to be very similar to a disposable lid. Potentially a teeny bit more percentage of, of failed lids in a batch, but not crazy high, right? It's not like you're going to have 50% fail, like maybe one or two more than you normally would over the course of uh, a month's worth of canning. I don't know. For me, it's been pretty similar as long as I follow the rules and follow the instructions for those lids. And I think for me, maybe having a few more jars that don't seal, that's a fair trade-off for not being able to get lids period right and I like not having to throw lids away because I'm trying to do less disposable stuff in my life anyway and so when I can just buy a bunch of these reusable lids and just keep using them over and over I don't have to throw stuff in the trash and I think it's a win-win um I was gonna say something else about that oh they're they're pretty comparative price-wise to a disposable lid too especially when you look at you know, you're rebuying those disposable lids every single time. And then these ones you can use like six or eight times and there's a lot of life left in them. So anyway, I'm a fan. You can check out my video though for the full scoop and some of the kind of caveats with those lids. All right, um, from CT, does any pre-cooked can, oh, does any pre-cooked canned meal like soup with coconut milk in particular go rancid at some point? So it is recommended that you don't can foods with coconut milk in them. And that goes for uh, regular dairy as well. So the reason that we steer clear of putting a lot of dairy in our canned food is because dairy can harbor botulism spores. And um, you don't want to play around with botulism. So st steer clear of that. So we don't do dairy in our canned foods. We don't do purees that are really thick because the heat can't penetrate. So what I recommend is if you have a soup recipe um, that you really love and you're wanting to can it, um, one thing you can do, like let's say tomato soup, is you follow the recipe in a book like the Ball Blue Book for tomato soup, and then you would add the dairy right before you serve it. So you open up the jar, you put it in your saucepan, you heat it up, you add your dairy, your cream, or your half and half or whatever. And that way you still have the creaminess, because I mean, I like dairy in my soup. <laughs> I'm not, if I can, if I can have a cream soup. Um, but that way you're not going to have the risk of the botulism. All right. From Laura, when a canning recipe calls for a number of pounds of something, do you weigh it before or after you core it and slice it? Um, so you kind of have to pay attention to the recipe and sometimes it'll specify, um, how it's written, but for the most part, you're going to weigh it beforehand. So if they say, uh, I, like I have some recipes that say X number of tomatoes per quart of tomato sauce, it's generally going to be that weight is measured before we start to process the tomatoes. Does that make sense? So that's how I usually think of it. But there are times when the recipe will say, you know, five pounds of sliced cored apples, then you're going to be weighing it after you do the cutting and the chopping. Okay, next question from Denise. Canning condiments like homemade ketchup, mayo, barbecue sauce, and mustard, how to do that and what size? Uh, so you definitely can do homemade condiments. It just depends on what it is as to, you know, what size and how you would do it. I would say mayonnaise, you, you're not going to be able to can mayonnaise uh, because of the fat in it. That's not going to can well, but you definitely can do ketchup, barbecue sauce, mustards. You're just going to want to follow an approved recipe for those things to make sure your balance of acid and other ingredients are right. So there's plenty of recipes. You can get the Ball Blue, Blue Book or um, a lot of other great canning resources like the National Center for Home Food Preservation. And yeah, you'll be golden. And condiments are super fun to can. Okay. From Rose, is it safe to can green beans and tomatoes in a water bath versus a pressure canner? So Yes and no, with some considerations. So with green beans, they're a low acid food. So if you add acid to them and make like pickled green beans or dilly beans, then you can safely water bath can them. However, just plain old straight up green beans, you don't do not want to water bath can them. Those will have to be pressure canned. 
Um, tomatoes can be done either way. But even though tomatoes are, are a little more acidic than a green bean or an ear of corn, there still is some question depending on the variety of the tomato, when you harvested it, um, the conditions in which it was grown as to its exact acid level. So it's recommended for that reason that you add some acid to your jars of tomatoes, whether it's whole tomatoes or crushed or sauce or whatever. Um, I'm trying to think, I have, I always forget. It's, I think it's two tablespoons per quart jar. I had another question about that here coming up. Let me see if I can flip through my notes and find it. Oh, yes, two tablespoons of bottled lemon juice or 5% apple cider vinegar per quart of tomatoes. And that'll just make sure that you can safely water bath can them and pressure can them and you don't have to worry about it. Um, a lot of people are surprised at that because uh, everyone assumes tomatoes are super acidic and it can be, it just depends on the variety and it's just easier to not have to guess, right? Not to second guess. So, all right, I had someone ask, I can't remember who it was, but they asked for canning meat tips. And Chris, just Chris, my assistant, she's in the comments right now posting stuff for you guys. She posted a link to my canning meat post. I love canning meat. I think it's fantastic. It's a great convenience meal. Um, it's not gross. Like when the first time I tried it, I'm like, this is going to be so disgusting. And it's not, it's really good. One of my favorite things is uh, cubed chicken. So you cut up the chicken, get, get all the gristly stuff out, saute it with some uh, onions and garlic and add some broth and salt to the jar. I'm, I'm just giving you the abbreviated version. You'll have to go look at the actual recipe and then pressure can it. And it is the best. You can make chicken salad. My kids would just eat it out of the jar for lunches. It's really good. You could do uh, cubes of beef. You can do ground beef. Um, I've seen people do like big whole pieces of chicken with a bone in. I haven't done that. So I'm like, I don't really know what I would, how I would serve that, but yeah, it's a great option. You just want to use your pressure canner and add some salt and you'll be good. All right. Next question. Where am I? From Rose, how do you keep your stuff from floating to the top once it's canned, and is this normal? So it is kind of normal. Like, food floating um, is not a, a horrible thing. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean your food is unsafe or you have to throw it away. Um, however, it is usually something you kind of want to try to avoid because, you know, you don't you want to have better quality food. And generally, um, when it's floating, it means that maybe you didn't blanch it, maybe like the recipe required, or maybe need to cook it down a little bit. So a few tips to avoid the floating. You want to pack the food in tightly as you can, according to the recipe, um, you know, get it in there. So there's not a lot of space. You want to make sure that you're getting rid of all the air bubbles. So take your little uh, plastic knife or whatever, spatula, and just run it down into the jar to release any of those air bubbles. Let those out before you put the lid on. Um, Sometimes if you are raw packing fruits or vegetables, I'm especially thinking of fruit here, you're going to have more instance of the fruit floating because, you know, it's, it's raw and then it's cooking once it's in the canner and then you end up having that liquid loss. Um, I remember a, a long time ago when I first started canning, I was doing pears and I thought I would save time and not cook the pears ahead of time. So I raw packed the pears and I used a really light syrup, like with just a little bit of honey. It didn't have a lot of sugar. And those pears, after I pulled them out of the canner, like they they were, there was like this much at the top of a quart jar and they had cooked down kind of in the canner. They just were, they were edible. They were safe. They sealed, but it was not great. It wasn't something you'd really crave eating. So, um, AJ asked, my cucumbers didn't turn out well this year. They're edible, but not beautiful. Would it be okay to can them? Yeah, for sure. You can turn them into pickles. Um, they don't have to be pretty to be pickles. Or if they're really, really not pretty or they're big, sometimes my cucumbers get big and yellow because I forget they're out there, then um, turn them into relish. And I have a great relish recipe on my blog. That's what I do when they're, they're too squishy to really want to eat as a pickle. So, um, okay. So keep your fruit from floating. Cook it down a little bit. Use a heavier syrup. Get the air bubbles out. Uh, a little floating is fine, but to, to avoid that lots of floating, you know, where you're having like this much liquid and this much food at the top, do those things and it'll help. Okay, from Undyne, to be aware of location elevation and how to adjust canning time for those who reside in high elevation areas. So yes, great question. Um, altitude is definitely something to take into consideration. And so for those of you who, I know some of you have my Canning Made Easy program that we have 
open for membership right now, we have charts in there with altitude suggestions. So basically, if you are, depending on what altitude, if you're higher altitudes, um, you're going to add more time for your boiling water bath canners. If you're high altitude and you're pressure canning, you're gonna add more pressure. So we are over 6,000 feet here. And so I always can in my pressure canner at 15 pounds of pressure. And that'll depend on where you live altitude wise. Um, but you know, like with my boiling water canner, I'm gonna add five or 10 minutes, I can't remember exactly, I always look it up before I do it, of extra processing time because we're so high altitude. And so there's there's uh, diagrams about that online or it's in my canning course if you wanna check it out there. We have a little printout so you can just stick it in your in your cabinets to have it there available. So, But it doesn't, doesn't really affect anything else, just time and pounds depending on what type of canning you're doing. Okay, is there a canning book you recommend? And that's a question from Megan. So, um, I have a blog post, and Chris is going to drop that in the comments here, with some of my favorite canning resources. But I would say, hands down, I think everybody needs a copy of the Ball Blue Book. It is a standby. I have an old copy. I bought it probably 15 years ago. It The cover's falling off, and it's completely splattered with tomato sauce and all sorts of food splatters from canning. But it's good, and it's something that you can go back to. Like a lot of the recipes aren't super imaginative, but it at least gives you those basics and helps you understand ratios of low acid to high acid when you're um, water bath canning and elevation stuff and what headspace is. So it's just really solid. So I would recommend grabbing a copy of that. They're all over the place. They're super affordable. This episode is brought to you by Redmond's Real Salt, the number one salt I use in all of my homestead cooking canning and fermentation. I've learned over the years that not all salt is created equal and having the good stuff really does make a difference in your culinary adventures, especially when it comes to canning or fermentation. If you use the general run-of-the-mill grocery store salt with its iodine and its sugars and its additives, it can cause your canned or fermented foods to have off flavors, textures, and colorations. So it really does make a difference to get the good stuff. Redmond's is the only salt mine in the good old US of A, and I love that they use sustainable practices in their mining, and it contains 60 plus trace minerals that not only make it good for you, but it actually tastes better too. Since I can't mine salt here on our homestead, obviously, I like to buy salt in bulk because that saves me some cash and it never goes bad. I actually bought a 25 pound bag of Redmond salt last summer and I'm still using it. I just keep it in a bucket down in my basement pantry and it's still going strong. Right now, Redmond's is offering 15% off your entire order just for my podcast listeners. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash salt and use the code homestead to snag your discount. Now, back to our episode. Amanda says, I cannot prevent massive amounts of siphoning no matter what I do. How can I prevent this? Um, so it sounds like she's pressure canning. So siphoning is somewhat common, and that's what happens when you have your food in your jars and you open up the canner when it's done and you're like, oh my gosh, what happened to all the liquid? <laughs> A bunch of the liquid left my jars. Or maybe you can even smell it or you can see the liquid in your canning water. Um, so first off, this does happen. It's not the end of the world and you don't have to throw those jars away. They can still be safe. And as long as the seal on the lids has sealed, it's fine. You can still eat that food. Um, and there's a couple ways you can avoid this. I have it happen every so often, even when I do everything perfectly, but there's a few ways to avoid it. So the first thing is you wanna use hot jars um, when you're canning. And that's why a lot of these recipes will say, you know, heat the jars before you put the food in it, make sure the food's hot and the jars are hot. So that'll help a little bit. Um, the other thing that I like to do is when I shut my canner off, whether I'm water bath canning or I'm pressure canning, well, pressure canning for sure, because I have to wait for the, the pressure to go to zero before I open the lid. But I like to let those jars rest for a minute before I yank them out of the canner. So with like with my water bath canner, the timer goes off, I shut off the burner, I wait 10 minutes to let the water quit bubbling and everything to chill out, and then I pull the jars out. So that can help a little bit. Um, Make sure that you are definitely getting all air bubbles out. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look at my notes here. So 
as long as you still have at least half of the liquid in a jar, you'll be fine. You can still eat it as long as those lids have sealed. So it's not a huge deal. But I think with those regulating temperatures there and letting those jars rest, you'll probably have a little bit better luck. Um, okay, next question from Brooke. How to can with a pressure canner that doesn't have a pressure gauge, just a jiggler. So um, what I would recommend, because this is a little bit different depending on uh, which type of canner you have, you're gonna wanna look at the manufacturer's recommendations because um, some canners will tell you you need to hear so many jiggles per minute in order to be within the proper zone. Some will tell you, you know, the, the thing's supposed to rock constantly. So it really just depends on your model of uh, pot. If you don't have the owner's manual that came with your canner, then you can sometimes find those online or you can find people who have written up recommendations. So I would just see if you can figure out the name and the model or just even the manufacturer and then see what you can find on the internet if you don't have um, the, the booklet that comes with it. I have an All-American and so it has a dial gauge and it has a weighted gauge. And so for my model, I am I really don't necessarily look at the dial gauge. I'm just listening for like three jiggles, four jiggles a minute. And then I know that I'm in the right range to keep the food at the proper pressure. But that's really going to vary depending on your machine or machine, pot, I don't know, canner, whatever. Oh, you know what I mean. Okay. How do you can beets? I have a lot of them. And that's from Mary. So beets are a low acid food. So if you just want straight up beets, maybe in some, you know, water and salt, then you definitely want to pressure can them. Um, so they're safe. However, if you want pickle beets, you can totally water bath can those guys. You can add some vinegar and you can add, uh, would you add lemon juice? Probably not. Probably vinegar. I want some vinegar and some pickling spices and call it good. And I think, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I have a pickle beet recipe on my blog. Sometimes I forget the things on my blog because there's lots of stuff over there. The prairiehomestead.com is a blog and I'm sure if I do have that post, Chris will post the link in the comments. So she generally knows my blog post better than I do. Okay, um, how would you can something like meatloaf? And that's from Sherry. So I did a little research on this because I've never canned meatloaf. And according to the National Center for Home Food Preservation, you can totally can ground meat or like meatballs, but they don't recommend like a giant mass of ground meat. And usually when they're steering you clear from those more dense items, it's because they want to make sure that your heat can penetrate to the middle of the jars. So I don't know if I would recommend canning meatloaf per se, but you can totally can ground beef or ground, uh, you know, other meats um, or like meatballs. And there's plenty of recommendations and recipes for those and you'll be just fine. All right. Advice for canning outdoors with a propane burner on a stand. I'm considering this due to minimal clearance between the range hood and the canner. And that's from April. And I I have been there April where I think, uh, what was it when we first moved into our house? We had a microwave uh, oven hood and it hung down. And so I was always like squishing my big pots uh, try, under the microwave trying to make sure they fit. Um, and it was super annoying. But yeah, if you are in a situation where maybe you have a glass top stove, which we'll talk about that in a minute, or you have an oven with a hood that's too low for your big canning pots, that is an option. You can get one of those outdoor propane burners with a few considerations. So you want to make sure that your canner, um, the manufacturer says it's okay to be used on an outdoor burner. And I think it's the Presto canner, uh, the Presto pressure canner. I think they say like, don't use it on an outdoor burner over 12,000 BTU. So they have some rules there. They have some guidelines. Um, and you also want to make sure that the burner itself, maybe check the manufacturer's recommendations or the booklet that comes with it and make sure that it is saying you could use that for, for that sort of application. But it can totally work. And it's a great way to not heat up your kitchen. So I guess, long story short, when you're going to go that route, just check the model of the burner and the model of your canner to make sure they can be compatible. And then you should be just fine. All right. Canning on a glass top stove. So Jennifer and Edna both asked that question. This is a really common question. Um, so yeah. you can you can on a glass top stove? Yes. Can I guarantee that you won't like shatter the stove? No. <laughs> um, you can live on the edge a little bit. I had a glass top stove when we first bought our house 
and um, I did can on it with my, I think I did water, I did water bath for sure, maybe pressure canning and I didn't break it, but there is that risk. So you have to be willing to take that risk. And I feel like that would be a very sad day um, to break your glass top stove top. Not great, not a good day. So the, the issue is, is the weight of the canner, especially a pressure canner, like an all American canner, those are beasts. They're like giant alien spaceships that you're lugging around. Um, they're heavy once they have all that water and jars in them. And water bath canners can be heavy too. So I would proceed with caution. And if you really, really love your glass top stove, maybe grab one of those outdoor burners and just take that route. Um, I will say for those of you who are remodeling a kitchen or building a kitchen, I would uh, steer clear of glass top stoves just for multiple reasons. I feel like if you're going to do a lot of cooking, a lot of homestead stuff, they're uh, eh, just not my favorite. So, okay. But if you're stuck with it, I feel like there's ways around it. You don't have to just not can. You can figure out some creative solutions. All right. From Deb, she asked, is there a recommended age for jars when they shouldn't be used anymore? So... I think as long as a jar is free of cracks and chips and, um, yeah, I feel like you could use them for quite a long while. I have some old antique jars that I'll still use for canning. There are some that are really cool or really special that I don't want to use just because I know there is a higher chance that they will break. But for the most part, as long as they're sturdy jars, like I wouldn't have an issue using them for canning. Just check for those hairline cracks and those chips and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's one cool thing about the glass jars is they last forever. Okay. So Tammy asks about, can you can green beans without blanching them? She also is asking about roasting tomatoes for canning versus boiling tomatoes and a good recipe for sweet pickles. Um, so yes, you can can green beans without blanching. If you'd rather, I personally do not love blanching. I find it cumbersome and when I can avoid it, I don't blanch. So you can raw pack green beans. Know that when you are raw packing something, sometimes you have a little more shrinkage, you have a little more floating, but you know, pack your stuff in there good and you should be decently okay. Uh, if you wanna skip the blanching, step on the beans. Um, make sure you're pressure canning those beans if they don't have acid in them though, that's really important. As far as roasting tomatoes, I think that's a great option. Uh, if you want to have a richer flavor in your sauce, it's going to give that richer color. I think roasting anything is a beautiful cooking method because it caramelizes the sugars. It just makes the flavors pop. But when I have, you know, 80 pounds of tomatoes coming into my kitchen, I do not have the patience personally to roast them. And I don't want to be like shoving cookie sheets in my oven all day long and pulling them out. So my method for tomato stuff is I take my food mill. I have a Victoro food mill. I cut my tomatoes up. I smash them into the food mill. We crank it and it pulls the seeds and the peels out. And then I process that way. Cause just when you're going in mass, you got to be fast. However, if you're just wanting to do a small batch of tomato sauce and you have some gorgeous heirloom paste tomatoes, yeah, roasting them, I'm, I'm guessing the flavor is going to be far superior <laughs> to my sauce. For me, it's just a matter of efficiency though. So, um, yeah, roasting is, is great. I've seen some recipes for like some roasted salsas where you're roasting the peppers and the tomatoes and all the ingredients before you put them into your salsa. And I bet that's fantastic. All right. Um, Sarah asks, do you add citric acid slash lemon to tomatoes while cooking or when filling the jars? It's hard to determine how much per jar if I don't know the total jars I'll end up with. So great question, Sarah. When I'm doing tomatoes, whether it's sauce or whole tomatoes or crushed tomatoes, I'm going to add the acid to each jar. Because you're right, it would be really tricky to figure it out otherwise. So the guideline is one tablespoon of acid, uh, excuse me, liquid acid, lemon juice or vinegar per pint jar and two tablespoons per quart jar. So I'll just get my jars hot, line them up on my towel, put my uh, spoonful or whatever in each jar and then add the tomatoes. And that's perfectly fine. Um, if you're using citric acid, let me look at my, do I have that recommendation here? You can use citric acid if you want. I'm trying to find the amount. I don't have it here in front of me. I bet Chris could find it and post it, but uh, you can use citric acid as well. You're not going to use a tablespoon though. You're going to use, I believe a little bit less for that. Uh, we're just going to, but we're doing that just to bring the acid level of those tomatoes up. So they're appropriate for canning. We don't have to worry about it. Okay. The last question here on my list is from Vanessa. She says, can you can any recipe. 
Um, no, you can't actually. So there are recipes you can convert for canning, but you have to be careful. You want to make sure the recipe is not too dense. Like uh, sometimes people want to can like a really thick soup um, or a puree. You don't want to do that because the heat can't penetrate even in a pressure canner. And um, you don't want to can things with a lot of fat or dairy in them because that can uh, hide botulism spores. And if it's really fatty, it will bubble up and it will cause your jars not to seal. So avoid that. So the best thing I recommend doing uh, if you have a recipe you want to convert is see what you can find that's comparable on uh, like in a book like the Ball Blue Book or on the National Center for Home Food Preservation. You always have the freedom to uh, add dry herbs and spices or sugar or salt. Like you can tweak recipes that way. But the really important thing is just that acid level to make sure that's at the appropriate ratios. Um, for water bath canning especially, and then to make sure you're not using any of those ingredients to avoid. And so that's why you're gonna wanna not just take any old recipe and stick it in a jar in the canner. Okay guys, so I have some questions coming in here on my phone. Before I get into those, I wanted to uh, let you know that my Canning Made Easy program is open again for new members. It's learnhowtocan.com is the website. You can check it out and we have a little goodie box that I'm going to be sending anybody who joins this year. And I'm pretty excited about this because I've never done this before with this program. But I kept thinking like, how can I get you guys the things that I really love during canning season? And I'm like, well, I could give them coupons, which is cool. Or I could tell them about it. But like, what if I could actually get them these things? And so we figured out a way to do that. So when you join Canning Made Easy, you get all the digital courses, coursework and videos and stuff. But you also get a box from like my homestead, like from me to you. So real quick, I'll run through that, what you get, and then we'll get into these other questions. So, okay, you're gonna sh a shaker of Redmond salt. This is my favorite salt for everything on the homestead, canning, fermenting, preserving. Um, you're gonna tr get to try it. You're gonna get to try some of those reusable canning lids I told you about. I'm gonna give you two of those. You can watch the video and then experiment to see what you think before you go buy more of them. You're gonna get a flip top. Um, this is not something you put in your canner, but this is something you could put on the jars after you open them and you're eating the food. It's pretty cool. It converts any mason jar with, you know, a little flip lid and uh, it's great for pantry stuff. You're going to get printouts of my canning journal and recipe cards and cheat sheets. So you can just have these in the kitchen with you. And then my favorite part, check this out. You get the old fashioned on purpose towel, which I've had this hanging in my kitchen for, I don't know, six months, eight months. And everyone's been like, where do I get one of those? And we finally figured out a way to get, get, get to these. So um, we are going to throw that in for everybody who gets the canning course. And that's learnhowtocan.com. You can go check it out. All right, questions. I'm going to move my microphone forward so I don't like stick my face on it while I try to scroll through my phone here. Bear with me, guys. Sorry if you're looking at my nose. Okay, um, where are we at? When making sauerkraut, can you can it for shelf storage after the fermentation, or is there a recipe or way to store it on the shelf? You can can, well, can you, yeah, you can can sauerkraut, I think. I believe so. I have never actually canned sauerkraut, and the reason I don't can sauerkraut, though, let me, let me uh, create some clarity here, is because it would kill all of the beneficial bacteria that you get from that fermentation process. So I have heard of people canning it after it ferments, but for me, it's just kind of like, cooked cabbage at that point. And the reason that we eat sauerkraut is for all the microbes. So what you want to do with your sauerkraut is keep it in cold storage after you ferment. And it can last quite a while in cold storage. So our great grandmas would have put it in the root cellars in those big cracks. If you don't have a root cellar, you can put it in a fridge. You can grab a cheap fridge on Craigslist and store your ferments out there. You do, however, want to keep it cool because if you put it in your pantry, you're gonna continue that fermentation process to the point where like it's fermented itself into oblivion. So uh, as long as it's cool, you should be fine. And that's what I recommend for any fermented food versus canning it. All right, next question. I paid for the Learn How to Can course, but with a new website, it won't let me log on. No problem, Kelly. Just send an email to hello at theprairiehomestead.com and Chris will get you set up. Make sure that you're ready to roll. Okay, I have a bunch of choke cherries. I want to make jam out of them. This will be my first time making jam. Any advice? So 
Brianna, I have a recipe for choke cherry jelly on the blog. I love choke cherry jelly. Um, I recommend looking into a low sugar pectin if that's your thing. I think that's a great option for jams and you don't have to add bazillions of cups of white sugar. So you might want to check that out. And my favorite low sugar pectin is Pomona's, but um, jam's really easy. So I'm trying to think, choke cherries have those seeds, right? So you might want to um, follow the instructions with your recipe or whatever you're using. You know, you kind of get the juice, you either juice them or you put them in one of those juicer bags or cones or whatever to make sure you're getting those seeds out. But other than that, it's going to be so good. So you'll have fun with it. Okay. What tool do you use to skim fat off your chicken stock? Um, just a ladle. And that's a great question, Ashley. And just for those of you wondering, I do like to skim fat when I'm making broth for canning because I've had that fat bubble up in the jars otherwise and not, and prevent my lids from sealing. So I will either use a ladle and you can see it in the top of that jar, or I will stick my jars in the fridge overnight if I have time let it harden, and then I just literally pick the fat layer off, and I can use it for cooking or give it to the chickens, and then I have most of it gone for canning. So, super easy. All right. Um, sorry, my finger, guys. Um, kids gave me an all-American canner for my birthday, terrified to use it. Will the course help? Yes, Susan. <laughs> the course will definitely help. You'll see me walk through my All-American canner. It's step-by-step. -step. We have cheat sheets and safety lists. So you don't have to be scared of it. Um, you're going to find out that it's very user-friendly. You're going to really like it. So yes, yes, for sure. And, and what a cool birthday present. Um, thoughts on the new electric pressure canners? I have not tried them yet. I guess I don't have thoughts on those. I should look into that, though. That's a great question. You know, another thing I want to try is a steam canner. I just need to get one. I haven't tried one of those yet either. Okay. I'm going to scroll up. I think I missed some questions at the top here. Da, 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 da. Um, Rebecca says, thank you for the warning. We have a glass top. I will use the outdoor burner. Yes. Like, I know people do can on their glass tops, but it depends on how much you like your glass top. If you're looking for a reason to replace it, then can away, my friends. <laughs> you might just uh, break it in the process, but maybe that's a good thing. Let's see, can you reuse lids that you've made freezer jam with? In other words, can you reuse them if you haven't actually processed them? Um, Sandy, I think you could, as long as they haven't gone through that, uh, yeah, the processing process, you should be able to. I, I like to just, like if I'm gonna use canning lids for storage or canning lids in my freezer, I try to use the lids that have already been used just so I don't have confusion. But yeah, that should be fine, um, as long as there's not damage to the little ceiling compound along the edges. Okay. Um, sorry guys, I'm just scrolling. It's just hard to do on a little phone. Okay guys, I think I got most of the questions. If you have other questions, send them now before I hop off. Okay, here we go. Um, are you still loving the reusable canning lids? I'm thinking of purchasing some, but not sure which brand to go with. What was the brand you used? I used Harvest Guard. Um, they're they're great. These are the, these are the ones that you get in the package with the canning course. So, yep, I like them. We've gotten to know the owner of the company. He's they're a really cool company, small family owned. Yeah, I really am happy with them. And yeah, I'm gonna use them again. I have a whole bunch in my basement. Once I get canning again this year, that's what I'll be going with. Because, um, I don't know, I did see flats of jars at my local hardware store a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, that was a good sign. But I don't know if I, I don't think I can find like boxes of lids right now. And I don't really need more jars at this point in time. So I don't want to buy the jars if I can help it. Okay. My glass top manual said that aluminum canners with totally flat bottoms were okay. Oh, so I have the smaller Presto pressure canner. But it works. That's good to know, Amanda. So maybe um, they are at least updating their recommendations. That's that's good news. So yeah, if you have a flat bottom canner, that's going to be better for a glass top. Sweet. Um, I don't have enough tomatoes to can yet. Have you ever frozen the ripe ones till you get enough? Yes, I totally do that. Um, I never have enough tomatoes 
at the beginning of the year either, or the beginning of the season to can. So what I do is I will wash them, cut the tops off. I am very lazy with tomato processing. So I will just squish out the majority of the seeds, maybe not even the majority, just some of the seeds and the, the juice. And then I stick them in a freezer bag. And then um, when I'm ready to deal with them, I thaw them out, dump them in a stock pot, and then puree them all up. I don't mind a little bit of skin in my tomato sauce. I know some people really don't like that. So I suppose you could do more prep ahead of time and take the peels off, et cetera. But um, yeah, that's what I do. And it works great. Tomatoes are tricky, especially where we live because we get, they're late. Like I don't have red tomatoes usually till way later in the season. What do you do with canned recipes that your family ended up not liking? I don't want to just dump them. I would say with any food that's not a hit, um, I give it to the chickens. That's always a safe bet or pigs or whatever farm animal you have around. They always make me feel slightly less bad about saying, ugh, this was not something we want to make again. So out of the kitchen. Um, I live in Canada. Can I still join the course? Absolutely, Susan. The only limitation with my international customers is I can't mail the physical package of the bonus stuff because of the shipping costs are just crazy, but you still get the digital bonuses and you still get all the course materials. No problem. Okay. Can you freeze cabbage? I canned it last year and it unsealed as time went on. Um, yeah, you can freeze cabbage. I'm trying to think. I haven't froze much cabbage, but I, I'm pretty sure you can. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? I guess I don't have a lot of cabbage preservation thoughts other than sauerkraut because that's what I always do with mine. Um, it might be, I mean, texture-wise, it's probably going to be more suitable for skillets or soups or stews. It's probably not going to be really great for other eating, but I think it would work. I think. Can you explain altitude to me? Yes. So um, altitude, depending on how high you are, where you live, how many feet above sea level, you're going to want to adjust your canning appropriately. So if you're water bath canning, you're going to want to add time. And there's charts online and there's charts in my Canning Made Easy course to help you figure out how many minutes extra you need to add, depending on your range of feet above sea level. If you're pressure canning, you need to add more pounds of pressure. And again, your manufacturer booklet will tell you we have recommendations in Canning Made Easy. So it's not a big deal. Um, it's not really going to change anything else you do with your canning, just those two aspects, time and pressure. Okay. How long do you water bath tomatoes? Do you do lemon juice or citrus, citric acid? Um, I'm trying to remember my processing times on tomatoes. I'd have to look at my recipe. We have a post here. I think Chris posted it here in the comments. Um, but I generally use lemon juice. Citric acid is a more neutral flavor. So if you really don't like the extra tang of the lemon juice in the tomatoes, citric acid is great. It's not going to give you quite as much um, bite, I guess would be the word, but you could also use a, a apple cider vinegar or a white vinegar. You just want to make sure it's 5% acid. So bottled lemon juice should be 5% and your apple cider or white vinegar should be 5% and you'll be good. Best way to store all the empty glass jars. That's a good question. I have them in a shelf in the basement, but they do add up when like, especially this time of year, when we're gearing up, you know, to start a fresh new canning season, one thing I'll do is I just like to use them throughout the year for storage in the fridge in lieu of sometimes like plastic Tupperware containers. I'll use them as pantry storage. I really lean on the recap lids, like the one I'll be sending you in your goodie box to help me put those empty jars to good use. And so like the flip lids, there's a sprayer you can get, there's strainer and shaker lids and pump tops. And so I try to just repurpose them as much as I can. Um, just so they're not sitting around Be because yeah, they do add up. You can always stick them under the bed in a box if you're short on pantry space like I am too. Okay. How long can you keep canning? I think mm, greet, I think meant meat. You can keep most canned items. Um, they're going to recommend about 18 months is what you'll see the recommendations. Now, I have kept and eaten canned food for much longer than that, as long as the seals on the jars are good, which usually don't have a problem with that. Um, the 18 month recommendation, I believe is generally from the lid manufacturers. Cause they're like, we're kind of gonna tell you that the seals are good for 18 months, but we can't necessarily guarantee it past that. So that's the official recommendation, but 
man, as long as the seals are good, I have no problem eating canned food that's years old. Is there a recipe for making a sauerkraut on your blog? Yes, there is. There is a, a good recipe for that. Can you can cream soups? Uh, so no, you're gonna wanna steer clear of the cream soups because of the dairy and the flour in them. So you could can other soups, like brothy soups are a great candidate, but steer clear of the, the creamy ones, like the thick creamy ones. Okay, I can try, I still have battery down here on my podcast recorder. I've never canned anything before. What's a good first item to try to can? Um, I think applesauce is a really good first item because it's a crowd pleaser. It's one ingredient. You mash it up, whether you do that by hand or at a blender or a food processor, and then you can water bath can it, and it's a no-brainer. Jams and jellies can be good as well, but there is that pectin uh, consideration where you're, you're thinking like, oh my gosh, is it set up pri properly? And is it sheeting? Because there's this thing where you wait for the jelly to drip off a spoon in a certain way and you have to be, it's called sheeting and you're trying to check that. So I feel like the least stressful item would be something like uh, applesauce or maybe, maybe tomato sauce if you have a bunch of tomatoes. Okay. Thank you guys for being here. Okay, I think I got to most of the questions at least at the bottom. All right, um, let's see. We've been on a while, almost 50 minutes. But that's all I have for you guys. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your awesome questions and being a fabulous audience. Um, reminder, if you're ready to dive into canning or you've done it before, but you're like, I'm not really sure if I'm doing it right, check out Canning Made Easy, learnhowtocan.com. We also have a post I just posted before I jumped on. You can click through that um, if you don't want to try to remember you're driving. You don't want to try to remember the website address. I'm going to be sending my goodie box with all the fun stuff and the towel to all of the U.S. Um, people. Yeah, that sounded weird. All, <laughs> all customers who reside in the U.S. where um, shipping is not crazy outrageous. I will send that to you guys. And if you're international and you join, you still get all of the coursework and the videos and the eBooks and the digital bonuses too. So I'd love to have you over there. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for being here. You are a fabulous bunch of individuals and I appreciate you. So take care, guys. We'll talk next time.